welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Well, uh, first of all, my name is Lick B, and uh, I've been uh, briefly sober since February 16, 1996. I had been a recovered sexaholic since 1998. It took two years for that to happen. What I mean by recovery is I finally got it. My way of living doesn't work. And until I came to that place, I was struggling, thinking it was a question of willpower. For two years, I thought, you know, I had so many different things I had to stop. And it's not important to have a drunk along, but but I thought I was different than everybody else when really I was the same. It doesn't matter the form of acting out. No, we still came to a place. All of us, despair, a tremendous, you know, bottom where we tried to stop and we could not. And that's what I had to face. So there was a lot of things that had to change. So I found out quite quickly that and back then in 1996, the only thing we had is we had like a essay net. And we'd have emails from all over the world that would come once a day. So I'd start my day off right and try to be... A, trying to be a service to other people and getting myself a sponsor, of course. And that's, you know, that's, that's where, that's where really the action is. It's working the steps and traditions and concepts without them. I didn't have a rule of living. I only had rules of destruction. And that was my essay career is I just, I was immature. So I need a lot of help. I even needed a lot of help uh, outside essays. Because inside of me lived a two-year-old or a 12-year-old or a nine-year-old, depending on the situation or the abuse I received in my past. So as I talk about uh, my sobriety doesn't belong to me, is I would navel gaze, you know, and somebody told me, it says, you know, they never, stuff doesn't really say I, it says we. Like it was always con- confounded. Was, I'm powerless, right? So I know, so I got an eye problem, right? Because I started focusing only on me and not on the group that I was, that I had a lot of people that were my brothers and sisters in this program. And without me sharing this, the same thing that the, the kind of frustration that Bill, Bill W. felt in the Mayflower Hotel with AA is uh, he was going insane. He was in a hotel and he was doing some sales, you know, he was in the city, Akron, Ohio. And he needed to find another drunk like him, a desperate person that wanted out of their hell, but didn't know how. Because the bar was calling to him for, for us. Like, I mean, all we have to do is just go outside. And I come from a northern area that the snow is, you know, melting. And eventually spring will be here. My spring tune-up has to occur in January and February, where I keep my eyes on the road. That's where it belongs. There's nothing for me on the sides of the road. You know, I just have to make sure where I'm going. I'm not interfering with traffic. So I have to keep my eyes on the road. I have to keep my eyes on the road even when there's billboards all over the place. Why? Because I have a photographic memory. And if I share that with other people, then I te- it tells them uh, that I'm powerless. But more than that is together we admit we're powerless. And our lives have become unmanageable. And well, we don't live in the unmanageability, so I'll use the we from here on in, if we want sobriety. If we live in the unmanageability, it's because there's too many eyes going on. So I have to work with somebody else, always, always with somebody else. Somebody wants experience, strength, and hope to the best of my ability and my energies, then I do so. Without that, uh, I am setting myself up for failure. 
So it took me two years to come to the place where I became recovered, a recovered sexaholic. And there's, there's specific uh, things to that. Uh, that means my new rules of living are the steps, 1 to 12. And my new room, uh, rules for living uh, with other people would be the traditions. And my new rules of living as far as big groups, you know, international groups and so on and so forth, that would be the concept when you're doing service work. Without those things, I was totally immature and codependent and control freak and rageaholic and you name it. But it's been so far removed from me. Like in 1998, I was in the lobby of a Newark conference and I was sharing my fifth step with anybody that wanted to hear it in the lobby. And I didn't care if anybody, strangers that brought in that, it, all the shame was removed because it wasn't me anymore. I had, I had at least had some sobriety since 96. I know that I'm completely powerless with a whole bunch of other people. And at that time, I want to leave my rageaholism aside. I resented. And uh, that's what got me into trouble. Even if I was right or wrong, I was a professional victim. And with that victimhood and all the history that I came from that from my childhood, I used that as an excuse before I say to act out because I had to take care of myself. You know, I, I thought it was the only, it, it probably helped me to survive life. It probably helped me not to commit suicide. But one thing for sure, at some point in time, it became so overwhelming that suicide became an option. And in 1998, God removed from me the character defect of resentment and even anger as, as I went on. Anything more than 30 seconds for me is too much indulgence. I'm allergic to that. And the wonderful thing that came after that is a desire not to entertain lust. It came right after that. And they say that uh, resentment is the number one killer of all addicts. And now I finally understood what that meant. So today, for me, even if, like I had an event uh, two years ago, where they, somebody slashed all four of my tires, and I replaced them, and they slashed one more of my tire. And, uh, and I was tested, right? So I was going to the neighborhood, and I was checking to see who else got plaster tires in the neighborhood? And nobody did. And I, and I was talking to the God of my choosing, uh, the one that I follow. And he said, hey, you're in good company. You know, obviously it's better than to tackle your tires than to tackle you with a knife. And so I became happy. So I spent maybe about a month without a car and walked to work. So I got physical health out of it. So I had to reframe all the stuff that was going on. I had to become grateful for everything. So, so I, even as of two years ago, uh, these things don't faze me. And even if, but if I'd done something wrong, I, of course, I have to uh, make my amends as step eight and nine tell me to do. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that anger has been removed in my heart, even when I have a right to be angry. It's a right for me. It's just like somebody that, you know, that, that eats crustaceans or something like that, and they're allergic to it. Um, and they can't eat it anymore because they're allergic. That's what I had to accept, the allergy itself. And I'm really grateful for that because without it, I wouldn't have known that resentment, even below that is anger, even below that is impatience or intolerance. That has to disappear really quick. So those character defects at six and seven have to be dealt with on a daily basis. And I have to find out where they come from. And they usually come from childhood. Uh, stuff that happened to me, or what they reminds me of, so on and so forth. But I'm, you know, I'm... I'm 65, so, but I acted like sometimes a two-year-old, four-year-old, a 15-year-old. I was never my chronological age, and that's what essay was going to show me. 
that I did not have to rely on lust because it was a brain job. And I went through four years after that of a no euphoric recall. God gave me the gift of no euphoric recall for four years. And after four years of no euphoric recall, because I, I just, I wanted nothing to do with lust, nothing at all. Yes. But I didn't do it. As I went into the program, I got the strength from other people. They showed me how to not want to entertain lust, not opening up that door. It doesn't mean it doesn't knock on the door. It doesn't knock as much. But when it does knock, because of circumstances of life, like death or grieving or whatever occurs in life, I don't open up the door. That's administrative. My God takes care of that stuff. Through the steps, through the traditions, through this program. So it's never an I, it's always a we, including a whole bunch of people. Like it says in step five, and then to ourselves, to others, and to God and to another human being. Well, that's the triangle that I need to have in my life, continually, to live. So these are rules of living that I um, use in order to make sure that I don't commit character assassination into myself. That's what the steps are. Gets me closer to God. Gets me closer to the fellowship. And in the fellowship, if I'm going to be of any use to anybody, I have to have some external boundaries also with other people. And to recognize that I'm not the only one that's damaged. Other people are damaged. Good. And to help them in any way, shape, or form I can. Without rescuing them. That's where the gift comes in. The gift that comes where my sobriety does not belong to me. It belongs to everybody here on this call. Uh, Because we've been... uh, isolating for quite a long time. Uh, Some meetings are not started up yet here uh, where I am. That fellowship is still required. And we we had to adapt over Zoom. We had to adapt over the phone. But eventually, we'll be adapting face-to-face, and that'll be a new challenge also for us because we have an image problem. We, we're sort of like uh, photographic memories, uh, so we have to be very careful with our photographic memories. So my sobriety belongs to you people. As I serve uh, the fellowship at the local, regional, they, uh, like country, national, and international, even at the service level at Seiko and so on and so forth, things start to change for me. That I'm not alone as much as I used to be. I don't have to crave relationships as they used to. I took a look at my codependency, my inner child wounds. I started giving those things up. I started forgiving people. So today, what I'm left with is a lot of compassion, kindness, understanding, peace, serenity. And without that, I would not have been here today. Even speaking to you about it. So it is possible for those that, you know, are just freshly, you know, um, sober, Keep coming back, because it does work. It does work. It does work. It works on us. It works around us. And there's hope. But as soon as I isolate myself, that's where the problem occurs, because we're ashamed. So it's not about I'm keeping myself sober. It's about you're keeping sober. Because without you people to remind me what I'm capable of if I start living my way, then I'm doomed to repeat the same mistakes over and over again, thinking that the next time it will change. And it won't. It just won't change. 
So I'm really grateful that my sobriety doesn't belong to me. I'm really grateful that God decided to remove from me uh, the character defect of resentment, anger, impatience, intolerance. For more than 30 seconds, it's too much, too much for me to handle. And it has to be given to the God, God of uh, the 12 steps. Because without it, and I have to share it with another human being. It's not finished because it's not a head job. It has to be a relationship job. So somebody else has to be involved. My sponsor, sponsees, people in the meeting. When appropriate, of course. Without that, without that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have the materials necessary to be able to deal with it. So I'm grateful for those things. Without that, I would be dead today. Without that, I um, I would have destroyed all my relationships, including my relationship with my wife. All I want to do is learn more about love, kindness, patience, understanding, so that I can have a purpose in life now. Instead of the purpose of destruction, I have a purpose of edification, of loving people exactly where they are instead of where I want them to be. So I encourage you to keep coming back because if you work the steps very quickly and spend the rest of your life redoing the steps over and over again as a rule of living, we have to brainwash ourselves into the solution and the same thing with the traditions and the same thing with the concepts. Because without them, we wouldn't find out that we need to work on codependency, our inner child wounds, and a whole bunch of other things, too. So as I do this, I find out we're together. We're unified. We're unified together one purpose. And that's SA sobriety. We stop lasting. More than that, we ask God to help us to stop lusting because we're in, I'm incapable of stop lusting. But God, on a daily basis, as I connect with him through the steps, gives me that kind of power. So I'm recovered since 1998. Just one more day. That's all it takes. Just one more day. I cannot do this alone. Cannot do the I statement alone. I need the we statement. And that way I've got a lot of people watching my back. And I watch their back too. Hope that helps. So for me, uh, we can open it up to questions and answers. I'll give it back to the chair of the meeting here, Daniel. Okay, thank you, Luke B. Thank you very much. Yeah, hi, I'm Nancy Sexaholic. Um, thank you very much, Luke, for sharing. I appreciate it. You're, I appreciate you being part of the we. We, for us. Um, you talked about 30 seconds when you spot character defects. I'm, I mean, I'm familiar with the three-second rule, which I think is crazy anyway, but the 30 seconds. Can you talk more about that? Uh, yeah, 30 seconds is uh, uh, any emotion that comes into me that long that lasts longer than 30 seconds is going to be a character defect. It's just a question of when, where, and how. And let's say if I thought about, you know, checking the, the neighborhood to see how many people got their tires slashed, uh, it took, you know, it took more than 30 seconds. And although the idea of it, was 30 seconds. And so I didn't do the action, right? So the 30 second is about before I have any action, before I turn. So I turn it over to God. But it usually takes about 30 seconds to turn it over to God because we, I don't realize how much time it takes. Okay? We're talking about, uh, let's say that's from the fresh off the street, the 30 seconds, the three seconds rule is seeing, you know, 
something, an image that we're not supposed to look at, right? I'm not talking about that three seconds. I'm talking about an emotional 30 seconds. Because what happens, even before that three seconds of me wanting to lust after something essay-wise, because for me now, today, is anything I want and God doesn't want from me, I'm lusting. But it's not an essay lust. It's more like I like I want life to go my way. I become God. So there is no God in my life, right? So because I can become God. So the difference between the three-second rule is, you know, for A is, you know, going into a bar or taking a drink. But for me, it's going beyond that, is what happens before the, the lust starts knocking on the door. Ah, uh, it's time up now. What's that? Yeah, uh, there, there's no time limit for uh, Luke when he answers, but Lee, see, yeah, there's a time limit. Okay. Um, so for me, the 30 second is about an emotion because it will turn into a character defect and it will turn into me uh, listening to lust knocking on the door. And that's where the three second rule is. The three second rule is for lust knocking on the door. Whoa, I can't answer that door. I know on the other side, something's going to kill me. I have to give it up to God right there and then. So I surrender it and I surrender on the phone if it's an essay lust thing. But if it's a uh, life lust, if it's an emotional lust, more than anything else. So that's the difference between essay lust, which is our sobriety definition and all the acting out and forms that we've done. That's a three-second rule, like just like with having a drink. But there's other types of drinks, too, that we have on a daily basis, and that's our emotions. It has to do with where we come from, what triggers us, and so on and so forth. Nothing. There's no nut less that could ever exist in anybody's brain, including mine, if I talk about the we, if I interact with a God of my own choosing, if I interact with somebody, let's say if I'm disturbed because, you know, my computer is not working, well, that disturbance, which becomes impatience, can't last more for more than 30 seconds until I do an action. And the action has to be surrender, because if I don't do that surrender, it's going to go up to something else. Hope that helps. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Nancy and Luke. Yeah, and just, a, I was had my mind distracted, but just to clarify, the person asking the question or sharing has one minute, and that's what Lee is okay. is timing. And then as Luke answers, Luke is free to, okay. to answer as he sees fit. So next, Chad, Em, I saw your hand up. Did you, did you have a question? Yeah, Chad, sexaholic. Um, I felt that the question was answered. Uh, so that's why I put my hand down, but uh, thank you so much. And, and thank you, Luke, for um, yeah, your share. It's very, very insightful. Thank you. Thanks, Chad. Next up, David G. Hey, everybody. I'm David. I'm a sexaholic. Um, and I don't have a question. I just wanted to thank you, Luke, because um, you gave me a gift today. Um, and I'm going to remember this next time I'm restless, irritable, and discontent that there's probably too many eyes in my life and not enough we's. And um, it's very simple. Um, and that's what I need simplicity. Um, and I also want to thank you for reminding me that for me, the change was uh, not working the steps, but allowing the steps to really work me and penetrate my heart. And um, that's been the difference for me. So thank you for reminding me of that. And uh, that's all I got. Thank you. Thanks, David. Uh, next up, we have Matt M. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, yeah, Luke, thank you very much indeed. Really um, got a lot out of your share and appreciated um, yeah, the, the topic. Um, a question I have, I could really resonate to what you spoke about with um, in recovery, learning to understand what's uh, where my damage is speaking in my life but also acknowledging that at times I will encounter situations where the, the damage maybe isn't on my side of the street and learning to, yeah, be useful and loving in, in these situations. I wondered if you could speak a little bit more about 
the process for you for learning um, what's on your side of the street and what isn't. Thanks. Uh, just simple questions. Is what the other person is saying true, not true, or questionable? Let's say if it's true, if I stepped on their toes. Well, I have eight and nine that tells me what to do. If they do not forgive me for my transgression, then uh, it's not about me. It's about them. They need, they need somebody to be in their life that they can blame for their reality. And, you know, sometimes by mistake, I step on the toes, so on and so forth. If it's questionable, as in other words, I've been, you know, far away from the person, but I'm not too sure if I bumped in into the crowd and stepped on their toes, then I have to check it out with somebody else. It's, did they step on their toes? Did, did I come close to this person or something like that? And somebody that we trust. And so that we can find out if we need a, to make an amends or not. And then if it's not true, we didn't step on their toes, we can ask them questions. Oh, when, when did that happen? Well, what exactly, you know, where, where was I? Where was I sitting? You know, because obviously I don't have enough data to be able um, to answer that, right? So that's how I separate uh, what belongs to me and what belongs to the other person. Now, if somebody wants to blame me, let's say after I've made an amend, then uh, I can identify. I like uh, there are certain people before I met me, the men that I wanted uh, dead for 30, 40 years. So I get to be able to forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And I could identify because I've done those exact same things. And they remind me what I look like. And I said, thank you so much for reminding me. I see that inside, not out, outside, you know, not to be rude or anything like that. But in, so even with, even with loved ones, if a loved one keeps repeating the same thing over and over again, and then done 20 years ago, I ask the question, and sometimes I can't even remember, and I ask them, when, when did that happen? Oh, that happened 20, 20 years ago. Oh, sometimes I, you know, I got to make a little joke with them. You're talking about Bob. And not any Bobs here. He says, what do you mean, Bob? He says, well, I haven't done that in 20 years. And it's a point it's just for them to understand that, you know, that was 20 years ago. And I have made my amends. So I, I will not make my amends uh, for the same thing over and over again. Because what that's saying is to the other person, don't recover. And I'll be your whipping person. And I cannot whip myself or harass myself for something that they choose to not forgive me about. Like, my heart goes out to them because I know how much unforgiving thoughts nearly killed me. And that's what, that's what I used in order to act out an essay, is all the unforgiving thoughts I had. It justified all my crossing of any lines that I've had in essay. So for me, I understand. More than that, I become grateful because I see what I look like, and I am so grateful, like God, himself and you people keep me uh, in line with my character defects of six and seven. Hope that helps. Thanks, Luke. Yeah. Thanks, Matt and Luke. Um, next up is the other Luke, Luke D. Luke D. Luke, are you there? You have your hand up. Yeah, it's always, I always have to try to to unmute myself. Hey, Luke, this is, uh, you're probably the only one of the few persons on this call who can pronounce my name rightly, as I can pronounce your yeah. name rightly. So nice to meet you. Um, I really enjoyed your share, as I'm, a, unfortunately, I'm a rageaholic, and I'm far from, I'm fra far from recovered from that. So, but your share inspires me that if I go on working the steps, trying to work the tools the best of my ability, that maybe one day God will also grant me the grace to take that away from me. 
as he did from you. My question is, uh, two well, I'll keep it to one question. Uh, what are you still struggling with today after all these years in SA and your spiritual life and everything? What, what are like the, the top plates that you're still struggling your with? Your up there, Luke. Yep, don't thank you. Oh, what am I still struggling with? I guess um, it would be with... Uh, uh, in 2020, I, I, uh, it was a really bad year for me. My health uh, went down tubes. And uh, I had to cut back on a variety of different things. So I have a, uh, a job that I do that I uh, do pro bono. And I don't get paid for it. And sometimes it becomes overwhelming. So I, I think what I struggle with sometimes is it's not really a struggle. What it is, is a, uh, an inability to remind myself that there's only so much I can do in a day. And if people have a problem with that, then not my problem. I just, I just say it out loud. You know, and this is what I'm able to do in a day. If you want to go beyond, if you want me to go beyond this, it's an impossibility. You know, there's only so many hours in a day. So it's not really a struggle more than a observing that I can only do what I can today. So that's, that's most of the disturbance. I don't even have a disturbance even today when my loved ones hate me. For whatever it is I've done 20 years ago, uh, I actually I have a lot of love and compassion with them, and all that comes out of my mouth is compliments and politeness, and and it doesn't disturb me. There's not much that disturbs me today. Actually, people wonder why aren't you disturbed? This person just yelled at you. Says, no, they weren't yelling at me. They were yelling about who they think I am, not who I am. And if it's the truth, which, which I, I rectify it right away. Like, there's no waiting. Like, an amends for me is a matter of seconds. Why? Because if I carry that, then it becomes a struggle. So anytime I, I struggle, let's say, uh, I used to struggle. By the way, being recovered means I don't struggle anymore. I have a God that tells me exactly what to do on a routine basis. And the steps go, let me go there. And the traditions uh, show me that. And, my, and if I forget, my sponsees will show me. Uh, my sponsor will tell me. So it's very rare when it does happen. I'll give you an example. I'm coming at 65. Well, I am 65. And I uh, forget. So before, I would have this voice in my head that just comes from my past and harasses me for forgetting. And I, and I would come back and say, hey, hey stop harassing my my little boy here. I have a right to forget. I'm 65, you know, and there's only so much I can do in a day. So it's about enjoying whatever is happening to me today, enjoying whatever emotion comes up today. And I have a lot of peace. And I have a lot of serenity. So the, a lot of the negative emotions or emotions that brought me to do negative things are gone because I don't want to go there. I'm not going to go there. Because that creates more chaos, and that gives me more of an excuse to cover up that shame, be able to lust or open up the door to lust. I want, never want to open up the door to lust, never again. So I never want to open up the door to anger, impatience, intolerance. As soon as that happens, I say, here, God, tell me what to do. I'll do it. 30 seconds, max. Because that's what an emotion is supposed to be, is 30 seconds that tells me to do a certain thing. That's it. Just do it. Like if I don't have that strength, I pray for that strength. And most of the time, it doesn't take me long. Hope that helps. Thank you, Luke. That helps. I, I'm going to shoot my second question quickly before then <laughs> point somebody else. Uh, can you tell us something about your higher power? Because apparently... What I read between the lines is that you must have like living relationship with a personal higher power who's doing for you, who's, who's giving you the strength and this awareness. Could you tell us about it, please? Yes. So um, 
it started at the beginning because I had a lot of religious abuse in my past. It started with the big book of AA, the essay literature, and my sponsor, and then uh, the meetings. Sometimes God would speak through people in the meetings. And they didn't know what I was going to share. I was just listening to them, and they showed me what I needed to work on today. And then it got closer and closer to something more uh, religious in nature. And now I work in that type of environment. And now I have no more religious abuse whatsoever. I've forgiven all those people that have done that. Um, But without the steps to destroy my old concept of somebody else's God and start finding that relationship that directs me today, a personal relationship, it's like everything is perfectly organized. It's unbelievable. So I hope that helps. Yes, thank you so much, Luke. Thanks, Luke and Luke. And folks with fewer than 30 days of sobriety can go ahead and raise your virtual hand and and get in line. But next up, we have Lee T. Thanks, Luke. Uh, I really can relate to it being uh, we and not I. Uh, In November of 1985, I was chemically castrated in order to really save my life. But here I was, I couldn't act out. I didn't have anybody to talk to about it and no support. And I was one of the most painful parts of my life ever. Uh, And then I finally found SA in May of 1986 when my recovery really began. And that began because I was connecting with others and helping others. Uh, You know, there were only six of us. So we were doing like, uh, you know, opening the door for each other and uh, setting up the chairs. There was not a phone number, so I answered the mail. uh, And everything I could do to try to connect with others because I was so isolated when I walked in. What were uh, your first uh, moves toward uh, making it a we rather than an I program? I guess the first move was getting a sponsor. And I had to choose somebody that was further ahead than I. And it was um, was a sponsor in the United States. His name was Jesse L. And um, I needed somebody to be very strict with me because I had a, a supreme intelligence. I could rationalize my way out of the paper bag. And that's what got me into trouble so much in muscle. That was the first move. My way of doing things does not work. Then it became a we. So we had a we, my sponsor and I. And I would do everything he told me to do. There was one day he he said to me, I gave him my fifth or something like that. And he said, oh, uh, that's peanuts what you just said here in your fifth step. I mean, that's very light stuff. And part of me goes to that same character defect, which was irritated, even angry. And before I came, because I checked with God, and said, what do you want me to do? I says, well, I don't know about everybody else, but were they willing to commit suicide because of where they went? So it was quiet over the phone. And he said, ah, I understand. See, it doesn't matter how far we've went. It only depends on how much we can tolerate. So for me, uh, being castrated or not, you know, uh, something mechanical or anything like that, that's not the real issue. The real issue is my brain. And it's my brain that really causes me a problem. And that disturbance turns into something that I want to escape. And I use pretty well anything to escape. And I don't anymore because I don't want to escape that stuff anymore. I want to face those issues of six and seven, those character defects that stop me and destroys me from being in a relationship with anybody around them. So that's the first move is I can't run my own life. 
I need help. Hope that helps. Yeah. Thanks, Luke. I, you reminded me Harvey did intrude on my thinking. So I'm, I, I, I needed that reminder. Thank you. And that's why we need each other. <laughs> Thanks, Lee and Luke. Uh, next up, we have Nora T. Thank you for sharing, Luke. I really appreciate attending uh, the meeting today and listening to you. Um, my question is about, I think I heard you say, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard you say that um, the desire to, to entertain us was lifted up. Um, and I, I was just wondering if you could elaborate a little about uh, the views of us in your experience. Because to me, um, the, out, the sexual act out, that's pretty clear. But the lust, it manifests itself in countless forms. Um, and sometimes I feel like I get carried away with it and I don't even realize it. Um, I would realize it was steps ahead of the, of the first mover, the first thought or whatever. So if you could just elaborate about how you, you know, stay aware of the doors of love and keeping them locked. Thanks. I'm having a little bit of difficulty hearing Daniel. Would you summarize the question, please? Yeah, I was having a, a lot of difficulty there, Nora, as well. Could you repeat the, there's some reverb. Can you me better now? Oh, that's much better. Could you summarize your question, please, again? Okay, sounds great. That was my headphones, of course. So um, my question was about if you can elaborate on how you keep the doors of lust locked. How do I keep the doors of lust locked? Well, first of all, uh, the door has to be locked, and I don't have the key. Only my God has the key. So... I've had to change my definition of sobriety from essay lust to anything I want and God doesn't want for me. So let's say if I want a Ferrari, but I don't have any money to buy a Ferrari, I'm lusting after a Ferrari. If I, if somebody, a loved one comes and talks to me and they're in an irritable mood and I want to change their mood, then I'm lusting after trying to change their mood. So you see, it starts with the small stuff and it graduates to the big stuff. So for me, not opening up the door is having some good boundaries. And when I, I didn't have any boundaries when I was uh, before SA and before taking a look at my childhood wounds. Why? Because I was so damaged when I was young. I was used, I was owned by other people. I didn't know that I had uh, the possibility of being responsible for my life with the help of other people. So today it's about not taking anything anybody says personal. Even when they're saying uh, generalizations about who I am. And they have a right to think that if they want to. But if they become more specific, I have something to work with if there is something specific to work with. And most of the time, it's not, because everybody else has their own wounds also. So for me, the door locked to lust is not by my... You see, I can't keep the door locked to lust. My higher power does. My God, my sponsor, my sponsee, they keep it locked, because they show me if I don't give it up to God to lock that door and remind me I can't handle opening up that door and he's the only one that can through the help of others, then I think I can run my life and I cannot run my life. So I want my life run the way he wants me to run my life. And I'll never, I'll never get in trouble that way. Never at all. So it's about, and it says it in the first, first page of Alcoholics Anonymous. Here's the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. Well, I've changed that 
here's the stories how thousands of us see, even in meetings and over the years, men and women have recovered from lust. Essay lust. But I go further. I mean any type of lust. Even what I eat. God dictates what I eat. It's not about pleasure for eating. It's about fuel for being able to do his work. Not my work. His work. Hope that helps. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Nora. Uh, we have time for one, maybe two, but at least one more share or question. And I see Laura, your hand is up now. Hi, Luke. Um, Laura W. And um, I remember the first time I heard you talk was in my women's only meeting, and I had never, I had never heard um, a gentleman share before, and I was scared to death. And what I heard was what I wanted for myself. And I was given so much hope. And so I'm so grateful for you to share your story. And it gave me enough courage to go into the mixed meeting where um, it, it changed my recovery. Actually, it got me into recovery. Can you talk a little bit about um, your journey and how learning how to face men and women in your journey helped you grow in recovery? Uh, yeah. You see, when I first came into SA, I had the lust of objectification. And I had to start working on that ASAP. That, if that meant like looking on the floor, because it wasn't a problem with the person in front of me. It was my problem. But when I focused on the other person, then I made it their problem. So I found out that I was a codependent. You know, I had my boundaries in reverse. I blame other people for what was going on inside of me and in turn blame myself for what was going on in somebody else's uh, life. So because of that wound from where I come from, I had to return that boundary where whatever I say, whatever I do, whatever I don't do is really about me, not about them. You know, there's an exception to that. You know, amen, there's eight and nine. And whatever happens to them, whatever they say, whatever they do, whatever they don't do is really about them. And it's not about me. So I had to start facing the fact that I was the one with the problem. And, but I was also the one with the solution. If I started working the steps and found the God of my own choosing compared to the God that was given to me when I was younger, then I would be able to hand over that life completely to that power greater than myself. So it's about me not wanting to face that, that wounded part of me that doesn't want to face issues. And when I started facing them with integrity, with my sponsor, with my sponsees, with the meetings themselves, then I saw everybody on the planet as being the same as me. There was no more gender issues, none whatsoever, because we all have wounds. Hope that helps. And, and, and frankly, when people start you know, not wanting to face those issues, what they're saying is, I don't want to face my lust issues. And I had to start facing my lust issues. I was the one with the problem. But I was also one with the solution. If I in, brought in the we, we were all struck by this stuff. Hope that helps. Thank you so much, Luke. It does. Thanks, Laura and Luke. Um, we have time for maybe one quick comment or very, very quick share. If not, we can go ahead and start the closure part of the meeting. But if someone has a quick comment or share, we have a minute or two. Margot has a hand up, uh, Dan. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Francis. Go ahead, Margo. Hi, thank you so much for speaking. And um, I, one, I don't know why there's so much feedback today. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm getting a new understanding of step three from talking to you. I mean, from listening to you. And 
it seems to me that you've made a decision that you don't want to go to any of those negative emotions. You're not just standing there going, oh, God, please help me, please help me, like you're just like a powerless victim. But because of not you've because of steps one and two, you've made a decision that you don't want to go there. And that is sort of underneath you're asking for help. Is that how do you see what I'm asking? Uh, yes, I, I don't have willpower. So I better find a source of power that's going to give me that power. And I don't have it. So when I focus on God, my sponsor, my sponsees, and the people in the program, that's where I get my power. Like you show, you give me hope. You give me peace. You give me serenity. And without that, and you'll remind me of the things I used to do. And says, oh, yeah, I used to, oh, is that how I used to look like? You'll give me, you'll give me, oh, my goodness, I've changed so much. Sometimes I don't even recognize how much I've changed. So I'll never be able to keep myself sober. It's impossible. So if I admit that, then I can go to that power. Uh, number three, turn my will and my life or the care of a power greater than myself that I wish to call God. He restored me to sanity. Not me. You know, he brings stuff up. I just have to hand it over to him and it just happens within seconds. Sometimes the phone even starts ringing. So there's too much evidence for me that shows me that he does work. Hope that helps. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.